Welcome to the Future That Works podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lim. Today we have Connie Lim, who is the managing partner of Mitchell Lake. Connie specializes in executive search for innovative startups and emerging technology sectors, as well as enterprises going through digital transformation. Today's podcast is about hiring as a hiring manager and getting hired as a candidate and how we can manage the biases during this process. Welcome, Connie. Hi, Teresa. Morning to you. Great. Thank you for joining us on this important topic, particularly in these difficult times as people start considering what are their next steps as companies start to manage their talent in these difficult times. Yes, given the spike in COVID-19 around the world, I'm sure we will have an increased number of people who are going to be let go from their company. So I think it's important that we manage it. Great. Maybe we can start with your thoughts on why is biases happening when we're in the hiring process? I think the first thing is that people like to work with people that they are comfortable with. And the Mm -hmm. easiest part is to work with people that are like us. Mm. So hiring managers are always trying to hire people that are like them. So I think this is the first thing, which is mm. some form of, or people that makes you comfortable, which is a form of a affinity bias. Mm. So I think yep. that is the key thing here. Yeah. And affinity bias, the common examples, tell, tell me if I'm wrong. It's like, what are the branded schools or same as same school that I attended as well as maybe the caliber of the organizations that you're comfortable working with. Is that correct? Yes, of course. Sometimes it's also include people that is from the same ethnic group mm. or people who are from the same, that has worked in, like what you mentioned, same company mm. or attended the same school. Right, right. And so what strategy do you recommend to both the hiring managers as well as the candidate when we're dealing with this particular bias? Um, one of the things that we have done is actually we have encouraged blind hiring a little bit, as in when candidates submit their profiles to clients, sometimes we have asked them to blind out their previous company that they've worked in, mm-hmm. or we have also asked them to blind out their school. Of course, we'll give actual data saying that they attended maybe a university in Singapore, but we leave out the part of exactly what type of schools. Mm. Even sometimes we do it in such that we might even blank out the names. Mm-hmm. And definitely in Asia where, I think in Southeast Asia, we have a habit of actually putting age, gender, etc. And we will ask them to leave all these kind of things out. So that it appears more that your resume is something that shows your skill set, mm. your experience. Right. And what about the hiring uh, manager? How do you help your clients be more aware of that because I can imagine if they've they've hired in a specific way where they are looking for branded companies or branded schools, how do you help them understand the importance of mitigating this affinity bias? I think first and foremost, for my role, I've always highlighted to clients, can we focus on the skill set they're looking for, the experience that they want the candidates to bring with them, instead of focusing on what are some of the companies that they work for and what the school that I've attended. I mean, in certain situations where we're hiring fresh grads, which is not something that I do. I mean, I have clients who ask me for advice. I said, yes, that would be a situation where you look at what school have they graduated from. But if you're looking for senior candidates, you should essentially just focus on their past experience. So we mm. always sit down with our clients to say that, what are you looking for? 
I could give you an example because I lead the CFO practice for the firm. Mm-hmm. So a lot, recently we had a client who needed to hire a CFO. Um, they are more of a, a bit of a startup. And I asked them exactly what is the most important thing to you. Do you want someone to deal with the investors? Do you want someone to look into fundraising? Or do you want someone who set up system and process for you because they can mean very different skill set? If you are looking for investment relationship kind of people, you can get someone who used to work in a bank. But mm. if you need someone to set up system, process and policy, you need someone that's very hands-on. So always focus on what is the thing that you're trying to achieve. What's the business need you're looking at? Mm-hmm. And sometimes clients will be steered to looking at that and they will be able to be open-minded about the people mm-hmm. that they hire. Mm-hmm. What about with technical roles? So one of the problems with uh, roles where there is a shortage, like in like developers, for example, is that there may be a bias by hiring managers for the degree qualified or multi-degree qualified candidates as opposed to people who've done really interesting projects and have demonstrated an ability to be continual lifelong learners and continually checking out the latest in languages and frameworks. What does your company and what do you do to educate the employees that they need to look broadly outside our degree qualified candidates? In fact, we have worked on two different types of clients where this is concerned. One type of clients are the very established clients that um, needed people with, besides ability to program, besides the ability to write good codes, they need them to be able to blend into a environment where they have to manage multiple stakeholders. Mm. So again, we actually focus a lot more on culture fit. We work with the client and talk about exactly what do you need. So in terms of that, the developing skill, like you said, the technical skill is mm-hmm. important, but, they are, mm. but the soft skills are more important. But when you work with a younger startup, what they're looking for is really more on technical skill. People who could develop, like you said, work on projects, interesting project, comes up with interesting products. So how we have done for a lot of the younger startups is that we actually give them assignments. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of candidates go through programming or you can say a coding test. Mm-hmm. And even if they're very senior, we actually put them through it. A lot of time, client is not looking for how well they code but it's about the logic. So there have been quite a bit of senior candidates who have rejected it because they felt that they are managers. They are not willing to do it. But mm. I think we would always encourage candidates that even you become a manager, when you work in any company, you need to have a certain degree of ability to do hands-on work. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to actually take some of this programming test just to showcase the way you think. Mm. So give them actual assignments Focus on how well they do all the assignment, what is required, what's the end result you want to see from the assignment. I think that's the most important thing. That's great. What advice would you give to people who have what in, I think in Singapore we call PMEs? So those individuals that have been in that mid-level management roles for a while and then they find themselves haven't really kept up with the latest in technology and then, then they might be potentially at risk of being made redundant. What advice would you give them in order for them to mitigate the bias specifically around age? Okay. This is a topic that we have been having a lot of discussion with my clients. So I can give you an example. One of my clients actually recently hired someone who is above 60 to be a business analyst. I mean, and the guy was really not looking at so much of compensation. He just needed to be paid fairly. 
but he has the best attitude. So of course, before getting into the company where you get to display attitude, I think it's important for candidates to be open-minded mm. and to really manage their two things, manage their expectation and change their mindset. Mm. Be open-minded about roles that may not be the same as what they're doing and be open-minded about the compensation that mm. they're going to get. Don't focus always on the job title, the compensation mm. or the company. And on the other perspective is that their mindset. I think I've met enough candidates to believe or to think that a lot of candidates are not that open-minded at all. They want to get back what they're drawing previously. They want to look at the same types of roles. So which is what in Singapore, our government has always said, either you upskill, you retrain yourself. Mm. If these candidates are able to reframe their expectations of their financial expectations and look at the opportunities as an opportunity to learn new things, whether it's a new industry or even a new functional area. Once they're able to do that, have you found that the hiring managers are also open-minded? And what do you do to ensure that you, know, you help your client truly have a team that has a diversity of thought? Okay. I think, again, there's two group of clients. When we deal with multinationals, they tend to want to hire people who have done that job, tick all the boxes. Mm. So it is not as easy to get them to be that open-minded to people that comes from a slightly different background or different company. But mm-hmm. we also have another group of companies, which is, you can call them the SME, mm-hmm. the growing startup. Yeah. Because of them not having the best so-called system or structure, the founders that I work with tend to be a lot more open-minded in trying out to work with different people. Mm-hmm. So I, in my pers- uh, perspective, I always work with this group of uh, hiring managers or this group of founders and tell them that, why don't you try certain people, put them on contract, mm-hmm. let, try them for three months, mm. and if they turn out to be well, you convert them into your permanent payroll. Mm. Give people an opportunity. And then obviously, I have to be upfront is that Sometimes startup founders can't afford to pay the same type of salary as mm-hmm. compared to some of the multinationals. So mm-hmm. it really candidates has to be open-minded to do it. And how have you found candidates once they get the job, whether it's candidates that, I guess if you look at the different stratas in our society, you've got the boomers, you've got the millennials, the ones that are, you know, have been exposed to more technology but may have you know, technically on paper less experience, and then the ones that are like the, towards the boomer side of things, like the Gen Xs, that have more experience but less technology exposure in the context of companies that are going through digital transformation, how have you found those candidates adjusting to the overconfidence bias of, I know more than I really do know because I'm familiar with tech, or I know more than I actually do know because I'm older than you? We, we actually encounter a lot of that, right? Like you mm. mentioned, the overconfident bias. I think first thing first, going back to what we mentioned earlier, always give them assignments and then be very specific in your recruitment set that give them assignments ask them to do either presentation or real assignment to see what their potential work will turn out to be i think that is the best way and it's fair so if they are truly that confident of their capability make them do it i can share examples of uh, with you i have um candidates or job seekers who are going for their final interview a lot of them have taken the initiative 
to even come up with 30 days plan, 60 day plans, 90 day plans. Mm. If I join your organization, mm. what am I going to achieve in the first 30 days, mm. 60 days and 90 days? That's mm. how they overcome a lot of the bias that they might actually see during the interview, mm. whether it's age thing, whether it's a gender thing. True. I'll share a personal example that I had when I finished business school and I had to switch from a finance role to a marketing role. And I didn't have the confidence in applying for marketing roles because I had no marketing experience. So the uh, advice that a friend of mine gave me was to come up with a marketing plan for the company that I was putting my, my, my hand up for, for a marketing role. And that really taught me a great lesson because it gave me the confidence in walking it through. It really impressed the recruiter and then the hiring manager. And then I was able to get the job. Mm. Again, I think it's, we bring ourselves back to the part about mindset, right? Mm. You see, you have the right mindset and right attitude. So you were willing to go the extra mile even during the interview. So I'm telling mm. a lot of candidates nowadays, go the extra mile, do the extra stuff. Do not assume that you're good and then you will mm. get the job. You have to be given the opportunity first. So how do you convince someone else to give you the opportunity? by mm. Going the extra mile and doing extra before that. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about overconfidence bias as in how it relates to women. So there's research that points to most women, whether it's about uh, during the promotion process, don't ask for as much money or don't push them, put themselves out there because they actually don't think they can do the job more so than men. So more men are able to apply for roles that are actually much more of a stretch than, than the same caliber of women. What advice would you give to the hiring manager in order to make the job description more appealing so that it would actually just uh, encourage women for applying to those roles in almost as equal to the men that would uh, apply for those roles. Okay. Are we talking about during internal promotion or in a situation where you're hiring a new candidate? A new both. Staff? Maybe you can talk us through both. Okay. I think when you're hiring a new staff, writing the job description is important, like what you mentioned. But on the other side, I have actually tell clients that maybe we want to be specific because I think we have all seen a lot of job description where they leave out everything on the job description. But mm. to be fair, nobody is going to be able to do everything on earth. And the difference between a man and a woman is that a lot of male, male candidates, they'll just apply regardless of whether they can meet most of the criteria. Mm. Whereas yeah. for a Female candidates, they want to read through every single line and feel that mm. they can do 80% of the job before they apply. So mm. I've, nowadays, I've gone the other way and asked clients, let's be a little bit more specific. If, you truly, if your role truly needs someone who can do extensive traveling, mm-hmm. put it down. Mm. If you need a certain language skill set, for example, mm. I have a client who has a BPO business supporting the tech industry. They needed candidates who can speak Chinese because they support the China market out from mm-hmm. Philippines. So they were very specific about it. Or, for example, technical people, if you need them to really know a certain language or you want to be very specific so that people who know they can do it will be able to apply. Mm-hmm. So that is regardless of the gender, ethnic group, etc. Just be very mm-hmm. specific. And if you're talking about coming to promotion, or oh, that is also a, a fact. When you give a promotion to a gentleman, they will say, yes, I'm game for it, regardless of whether they are good at the job, how good they are. But if you give to a female, they will have, they'll think through whether they can do the job, are they truly qualified. So mm-hmm. I think 
instead of saying from the hiring manager, I like to encourage a lot more female candidates to really be, don't be underconfidence, be overconfident, believe that they can do the job as good as men and take whatever opportunity that is given to them. And I want to be fair, a lot of organizations started are actually promoting diversity and equality. So they do give equal opportunity, whether it's male or female candidates. What companies do you think their diversity programs are you know, really exemplary? I've seen a few, definitely some of the top names like Google, Microsoft or LinkedIn is doing really well. And from a more of a younger startup kind of company, I would say Spotify, they're also doing really well. I think they are really good in what they're doing. And in Singapore, closer to home, I think BBS is also trying to do uh, quite a relatively good job. What are they doing that you recognize as, as exemplary? Okay, for DBS, I can speak for them. I know that whenever they need to hire senior candidates, they will actually tell the headhunter or the recruiter that on your shortlist presentation, we want to see inclusion and diversity. You could have female candidates. You have, of course, in, in Singapore, it will be mainly Asian candidates. Mm-hmm. But have both male and female candidates. Mm-hmm. We do not want to see only men on the shortlist. In terms of diversity as opposed to inclusivity, so, so for me, what I noticed about most companies' diversity programs, particularly when they're not particularly mature in their, the way they're approaching it, it tends to be targets or meetups for special interest groups. What have you found uh, work for companies so that their programs is really more about the true intention of diversity, which is the diversity of thought and the feeling of inclusivity so that teams actually feel comfortable to speak up and share ideas and make mistakes? Okay. I think there's a lot of people that talk about diversity of thought, meaning that you can bring different ideas onto the table without being actually different. Mm. So I like to firstly point out that I tend to disagree a little bit just because I think, especially when we work in Singapore, we have a really a diverse group of people working here. And it shows me that when people have different upbringing. Um, they are nurtured differently. They do bring different ideas to the table. So if we have a room full of only Singaporean and who have not worked overseas, I think we might not be as diverse in our thoughts when we bring ideas to the table. So I think it's important to bring people with different backgrounds into any organization. So that I may not necessarily agree on just plainly diversity of thought. It has to come with diversity in the group as well. Mm. I agree. And fundamentally, what you're saying is the diversity of thought comes from people's lived experiences. Yes. In any working environment, as a, whether is it we're hiring manager, we as recruiter or even as candidates, if you're always working in the same type of organization, working with the same group of people, I think your thoughts and the way you think will be very limited because you will always see certain perspective and you might not be that open-minded at all. So I think it's always important to leave our comfort zone to overcome that a little bit. Definitely. Earlier, when we were getting ready for preparation, you talked about the difference between unconscious bias and culture value fit. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that and how have you seen this being confused? Okay, I think for me as a headhunter, when especially when I work with a lot of founders, I think culture hiring is important. You need to use mm. certain tools. But what Culture fit essentially means it's basically the value system. You want to hire people who have the same value system as the company. 
you want to hire people who um, agree on certain uh, way of doing things. So that's very important. And sometimes hiring manager tends to confuse that, oh, it is a similar value, value system. You want to hire people that are similar to us and then you have the same value system. But I think that's not true. So that is very, very important for people who understand that. Do you have an example of a particular value that was confused and then there was a hiring mistake? Mm, I think one of them was, for example, in I won't mention organization name, but in one of the certain organization, a lot of organizations will tell you that it is integrity mm-hmm. is very important. Mm-hmm. And I think I have hiring managers who come and tell me that generally I think um, Singaporean, because we've gone through our system, we tend to be have a higher integrity as compared to some other candidates coming from some other more developing countries. And I had to actually shut him down immediately. I said, that's mm. not true. Mm. You know, that, that you mustn't confuse that with where these people come from. It doesn't mean if they come from a certain country, it means that they do not have a, have a system that allow them to have good integrity. Mm. So this is one thing that I always encounter. That's a very good example. Can you give us an example of how you coach the candidate to be clearer on their values as they're also identifying the alignment of their personal values with the company's stated values? So first and foremost, values, right? I've actually looked at some uh, companies. They actually have tools to measure what exactly values are. So we don't want to be confused that easy to say you want integrity, you want people to be creative. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you actually have a real system to measure what is the value. And then I typically would coach candidates in the sense that I think when we are going for a job, depending on which stage of life they are, mm-hmm. it is important that they do not get too carried about, carried away with the me. That means it's all about I and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, when you go to work in any organization, it's really about bringing value to the organization. Mm-hmm. So you need to see what you can actually do for the organization. Mm-hmm. So this is the first thing first that I think we will tell them. Because I think for younger candidates, or whether you, I don't want to mention that it's definitely the millennials, but for younger candidates, they tend to focus on what can the organization do for me? What can I gain out of this role? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's really time that when times, easy when times are not good, you really need to focus on what a candidate, what you can bring to the company and not what the company can do for you. That's a very good point. And have you, have you found that after you've had that conversation, they can connect the dots between what I personally want, but also what I want, you know, what kind of impact I want to create for the organization and for the greater good? Mm-hmm. I think this is, this is an evolving um, topic or evolving ideas because you even my situation, I'll see a lot of candidates. If you're talking about senior candidates, a lot of time, face the fact, they all, to a certain extent, it's always about the money, about mm. how much money can they get at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So if you're always trying to go for a bigger paycheck so that they can mm-hmm. get a bigger house and a nicer home. But I think the most important thing is to change your mindset, is that moving forward, I think it's not going to be the same anymore, especially every time when you have crunch time. Mm you're not going to be able to pick and choose. So you really need to understand what is important to you. It cannot be just money. So identify your values. Mm. What is important to you? What sort of organizations do you want to work for? And if you 
believe that at the end is you are you're just doing a job and you want to do a good job, then also focus on that and make sure that you shine in the role that you're doing. Absolutely. The question on when a candidate is thinking about what role to go for or what companies to apply for, and they are trying to prioritize what values that they have, for example, values of intellectual stimulation versus and challenge versus value of stability. Because I think with, with what's going on right now in the world, people are going to have to actively trade off between this sector, this company is likely to ride out the potential recession. That is more valuable to me than being stimulated all the time, for example, or, or, or another example of financial security from a money perspective. I can value that higher or lower than, um, say, intellectual stimulation. Can you talk more about how you help the candidate really get clear on that? That way, when they hopefully get some offers, they can make the right decision for them and also that they, they're likely to stay the long term. Okay, because recently I have been advising some um, organization that I won't mention names, but they have they support a lot of uh, people who are freelancing. Mm-hmm. I think given this current situation, a lot of people who are in the gig economy or who are freelancing will now have a second thought mm. that um, they will now realize that maybe it's important to have a proper job, to hold on mm. to a proper job. Um, free, freelancing is not always that good. It's not always about freedom. Mm. Now, Back to the part about how do we actually advise candidates to overcome whether to, like you said, to trade off between financial stability and what is the value or what is the kind of role that will interest them. I think it's really about if you have a certain financial commitment, you have people that you need to support, especially in Singapore, if you're talking about the local candidates, they most probably have a housing loan to finance. There will be um, parents that they have to support or even children that have to support financial stability is definitely going to be the top of their mind. So it cannot be in a situation where they're going to be able to pick and choose in terms of getting the most interesting job that will take very little. So this is something that I think it's important that they identify it themselves. And for candidates, that some certain candidates who maybe are already in their 50s, they already built their nest egg, they are financially secure, then I think they should actually take a bolder step in looking to doing different things. Mm. That's really good advice. Thank you. As a final part, what advice would you give to hiring managers that have the budget around thinking about their talent acquisition plans in the context of this uncertainty that's coming up? Because I think a lot of companies now might be considering doing a, a hiring freeze or slowing it down and also might be considering slowing down training, which was a value proposition for some of the, you know, the, the employees and as well as the recent candidates that they might have hired. What advice would you give to them as they're making this, these tough decisions, in particular, how they can ride out the recession and the short-term goals of surviving? Okay. So first and foremost, I think the most important thing, depending on which stage you are, if you're a younger company, of course, the most important thing is to conserve cash. So you have to look at ways that you, they most probably, okay, I have quite a few clients who are the younger company. They're still trying to hire. They still have a lot of needs to hire. But at the same time, they have to balance it with the need to conserve cash. So yes. definitely maybe for the next three to six months, they might cut down a little bit on training, but I would tell them that it's still important to onboard the people properly because onboarding is very critical in terms of when you bring someone in, if you onboard them properly, 
you ensure that they can do the job well in the long run. Mm, so I would tell them that you need to know what you can stinge on. Maybe you can't afford to provide different lunches or maybe you shouldn't be providing snacks anymore. So you can look at other ways that you can stinge it. Because I know a lot of younger companies they tend to want to provide the best lunches, you know, give them a lot more um, perks. Yeah, so these are more important. I mean, these are less important things in times like this you can cut down. But onboarding and training people for the job is very important. So you want to make sure you do that well. And for multinationals that's going through digital transformation, I think I have to be upfront is that because a lot of them are in Singapore are regional offices. So at this moment, given that there's a lot of uncertainty in Europe and US, a lot of our clients have slowed down hiring or even put at hiring freeze because I think it's important to conserve jobs for the people that are working with them. I mean, it's pointless to hire people when now and then after that, maybe three months later, you decide to cut other people. So I think it's important. The first key thing for multinational is to conserve jobs so that everybody keeps their job. That's very, very true. I've learned a lot of different new tips today in just talking to you about uh, how to prepare for job interviews and how to stretch myself. And I hope I'm, I'm pretty confident our listeners here will be getting some tips both as a hiring manager, as a potential candidate. So um, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing with us your perspective of the biases in hiring. Hmm. And I also want to thank you, especially the example that you brought up about doing a marketing plan before you get yourself hired. Because I think moving forward, that's really the direction that a lot of candidates should take on. Yeah, thank you. That, yeah, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Cool, thanks.